You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. This week's edition of Banner Monday is coming right up. Before we get to that, a quick word about tickets from our sponsor, SeatGeek. As you know, getting tickets online can be far too complicated. There are hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability for each of them, so it's hard to know who to trust. But that is why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so that you can easily find the seats that you want for a price you're willing to pay. There is nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Just imagine what the atmospheres at Simon Scott Assembly Hall are going to be like this season. You want to be there. This is a special year with a special roster. You're going to want to get to Simon Scott Assembly Hall, see this team play live, and SeatGeek is the way to go when you want to do that. You know, SeatGeek is actually designed to make the ticket buying experience easier than it's ever been. And they do that by searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value. So they help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. And every purchase is fully guaranteed. So you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. That's why I have the SeatGeek app on my phone and I use it for sporting events, for concerts, really for any type of live event. SeatGeek is the first place that I look for tickets. Best of all, Assembly Call listeners get $20 off of your first SeatGeek purchase. So just download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code ASSEMBLY today, and you'll get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's promo code ASSEMBLY. SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have the tickets. And now here's this week's edition of Banner Monday. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Banner Monday, where we kick off each week by doing what IU fans love more than anything else, talking hoops. IU hoops, Big Ten hoops, and deep dives into basketball strategy and concepts, plus previews of IU's upcoming opponents. We do it all here every Monday, and we're happy to have you here with us. This is our third edition of Banner Monday, and it is our 435th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the afternoon of Monday, November 5th, 2018. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of Banner Monday, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Martin takes the shot. The Hoosiers have won the national championship. This week's Banner Moment occurred way back last week when it was announced that Jerome Hunter had become the third IU player to earn the gold practice jersey. Not only did he have to beat out Jawan and Romeo to win the coveted jersey, he had to outproduce players like Justin Smith, Zach McRoberts, Robert Finnessy, and others who probably would have been atop most fans' prediction lists for the first non-Jawan Romeo player to get it. So why does this matter? Why am I talking about it a week later? Because it's yet another hint at the immense potential that Jerome Hunter has. You know, one of the big question marks for Indiana this season is whether Jerome will be able to tap into that potential in a consistent and meaningful way as a freshman. And the fact that he's having weeks of practice this outstanding so early in his freshman season 
when most young players are still learning how to practice, let alone excelling in practice, is a great early sign for Indiana's depth. Okay, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for our Monday Mailbag. He's a columnist for The Big Lead, a co-host of The Hangover, and a man who is never short on opinions. I pretty much have an opinion on everything. He is Ryan Phillips. Ryan, any opening rants before we pop open the mailbag and start answering some questions? No, I'm just I just want to reiterate how and we've been saying this for weeks now, but how excited we are that the season is actually underway and and tomorrow night we get uh our first uh, look at this team in a regular season game. Obviously, we got the exhibition. We heard notes about the the secret scrimmage, which was really just a closed door scrimmage. I don't get why they're calling it a secret scrimmage. Uh, is it a secret if everybody knows about it? That's my that's my. <laughs> uh, just I, I just how excited we are, and and we're excited to see this team play. And I think that some people were asking me this week, you know, with you know watching the line changes of IU guys going in and out of that exhibition. And then to realize that you got three guys who are out in Race Thompson, uh, Devontae Green, and Jerome Hunter. All guys I think most people feel like will play this year. How are they going to fit these guys in and all that stuff? How are the rotations going to work? And a lot of people pulling their hair out trying to figure this out. And I, what I would say and, and reiterate, and I guess this is my, my big overarching point for today it, uh, you know, off the top, is th- this is going to take a while to figure out. These guys are going to, it's going to take a while to see, uh, to figure out who gets what minutes, where, who plays well together, all that stuff. So this is going to take a, you, you see it going on in the NBA right now in a couple different places, most notably, I mean, in my neck of the woods with the Lakers, you get LeBron, you get this big guy, you've got all these young guys, you've got to figure out who plays well together, who fits in well together, uh, where the best points to bring these guys in are, who are your true starters? Who are the guys who are going to play, not necessarily start the game, play the most minutes, all that stuff. It's going to take a while to figure that out. I don't expect to see a solid rotation set until early January when we get into the meat of Big Ten play. Until then, this is going to be an experiment. They're going to be figuring guys out. So if you're worried that your favorite player isn't playing yet, Give it some time. They've got practice time to figure it out, and they'll get their shots in games. We saw a guy like Demise Anderson come off the bench in that exhibition and drop 14 points in 14 minutes. He probably wasn't a guy I would have earmarked for being in the rotation this year. Maybe he's making a case to put himself in their rotation. It's going to play out over the next two months. We'll see where it goes. So don't worry too much right now if you're if, if the guys you love or guys you want to see aren't playing. This is a, a process, and it's going to figure itself out. Happens when you have this much talent. It's a good problem to have. Yes, absolutely. All right, here's what's on tap for this first edition of Banner Monday, uh, or this third edition of Banner Monday. I need to update my script here. Uh, we got the listener mailbag coming. We got our Big Ten roundup with Mike DeCourcy. We have Basketball 201 with Ben Ladner. We're going to talk about the pack line defense. Then we have our opponent preview. Looking I am ahead. looking forward. I'm looking forward to that, by the way. Pack line defense preview. I, I am too. I am too. Uh, and then our opponent preview with Chicago State. All of that coming on this edition of Banner Monday. Uh, before we hop into the mailbag, I do want to just remind you real quick about the best way to shop online for great deals on IU basketball and football tickets. Just remember this URL, iutickets.shop. It will take you right to SeatGeek, where you can immediately find the best deals on IU basketball tickets, other sports tickets, concert tickets, and more. As a bonus... Can a brother get some coupons? You can use the promo code assembly to get $20 off your first purchase. And when you use that URL, iutickets.shop, we actually get paid a commission for referring you. So it is also a great way to support the show. Again, the URL is iutickets.shop. Thank you. 
Okay, uh, Ryan, real quick, before we hop into the mailbag, just an update. Uh, Archie had a press availability earlier today, and so I was just you know, kind of looking at some of the comments from the people who were there. It sounds like Al Durham and Race Thompson are not going to be available Tuesday night for Chicago State. It sounds like they actually probably aren't going to play at all this week, so we're hoping to get them back for the Marquette game. Uh, Devontae Green is cleared to play, and then Jerome Hunter uh, and Deron Davis will just have to kind of wait and see. But, you know, Archie did say, I think his quote was, we've hit a little bit of a speed bump with some of the injuries. You know, that's five guys right there, um, you know, and that doesn't count any, you know, kind of bumps and bruises and, you know, nicks and cuts other guys may have. But good to hear that Devontae will be back. It'll be interesting to see who starts at point guard uh, for that Chicago State game. But It'll be Devontae. Yeah, I, I, I would think so. Go, I would say it's Devontae, and then you have Rob coming off the bench. And we talked about this. It, it's much less controversial to do that right now than it would yeah. be to just start Rob. As, yeah, especially as given what Devontae did in the offseason and how he bought in and everything. You yeah. give the guy who's the veteran the chance. And I've said it before. I think they'll both play at the same time. I could see them playing at the same time. I don't see any issues with that. Uh, and, and, you know, they may experiment with that against Chicago State. So <laughs> they're, they're going to do a lot of experimenting against Chicago State. I, I, I would I would think so. Um, all right, let's hop into some of these questions. So this first question, Ryan, comes from Steven. He says, everyone is praising Romeo's game on Thursday, but I thought his shot selection was awful, running into crowds, unnecessary off-bound shots. I was wondering what you guys thought about that. And we addressed this a little bit on the post-game show, but let's take a few minutes here and, and talk more about it because I certainly don't think either one of us is as concerned about this as, as maybe Steven is. No, I look, Romeo is a is a true freshman coming in where he had to do stuff like that in high school. He had to run to crowds and take unnecessary off-balance shots, and he was probably going to get a call every time because of who he was in high school. This is who he kind of has been over the last few years, but he's a smart player who's going to learn maybe in college can't get away with the kind of stuff you did in high school. What I would look at, though, while you're looking at the 4 for 12 from the field and maybe 0 for 2 from 3 and and maybe thinking, hmm, I don't know. Look at the rest of his game. He had an assist. He moved the ball. He only got the one assist. I was surprised by that. He moved the ball really well. He did have five turnovers. A couple of those were offensive fouls or just uh, you know aggressively dribbling the ball and losing it. Had five rebounds as well. Um, and he had four steals. So he's, he's engaged and he's playing well. This isn't about hunting his shots and looking for it. This is just the way he's played over the last few years. And he's gonna. It's gonna take a while for him to realize that maybe in college you can't drive into a crowd and throw up a shot and expect a foul call. Uh, so I'm fine with the aggressiveness. I would rather have him be aggressive than be passive early. Uh, some of those shots will start to fall as well as he gets more comfortable and as the guys on the team get more comfortable with him, they'll find him in spots where it'll be a more useful way to go, uh, a useful place to to shoot and 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 find him in in useful spaces on the floor. Uh, what I will say is the benefit of having Romeo Langford and to some extent Juwan Morgan as a senior is last year, a lot of times late clock, you didn't know who was going to take the shot and who was going to take over and who was going to create something. Romeo can create something off the dribble by himself. We saw that the other night. That's what he was trying to do a lot of was create something. And that also opens things up for his teammates. But late clock, you've got a guy who can go one on one, get inside, get to the rim. If he doesn't make the shot, maybe you get a rebound or something. It's better than wandering on the perimeter at the end and firing up a three. He's aggressive. He'll get to the hoop, maybe get fouled and get to the line. So he's a guy who puts pressure on opposing defenses. And even if he does have a four for 12 night, you'll look at it and say, hey, we'll take that because it put pressure on the defense to pay attention to him opening up things for everybody else. So it's a process with Romeo. He's young, but you'll see that benefit the team down the road. I promise you. And frankly, the entire offense is a work in process right now. And Archie has talked about that. We saw that. He talked about it again today in his media availability, just talking about, 
you know, how we're struggling to kind of get into a flow. And, and and that's one of the reasons why in the post game he talked about really wanting to get out and transition because we have a and lot of guys. Yes, and we have a lot of guys who are going to be really good in transition. Romeo's great in transition. Justin Smith is really good in transition. So I think you're going to really see Indiana try to push the ball, and you'll see him do that all, all season, but especially now it'll be helpful with the half-court offense struggling a little bit. And that's why I would think as the games, we start to play better competition. It, we won't really see this against Chicago State and Montana State because you know they're just they're not that great of teams. But I really think we'll see the offense start to go through Juwan a little bit more, especially in the beginning, because that'll kind of be the identity. And, and, and here's a question that Jonathan has that we can kind of piggyback right into here. How long will it take our offense to find its identity and flow naturally? You know, I think we, you know, Ryan, we have talked about how we really shouldn't start judging this team until late December, early January, you know, and, and, and I think, honestly, that holds true every year, but this year, is but special. this year, this year, especially, and I think this is going to be a team that's going to win games early, you know, the games that they win, they'll win because of defense, you know, they'll win because they have some really good individual offensive players, you know, guys like Juwan, guys like Romeo, uh, they'll win because of transition, like we said, but I think it's going to be a little while until you look at the half court offense and are just like, wow, this is pretty. You know, th this really looks yeah, like a, a team that has a lot of chemistry. And especially when you have all these injuries now, that's not helping going out there getting game reps. So well, it, I think it, I think it's just important to be patient with this team offensively. Well, and people look at the starting lineup and they see Juwan Morgan, Devontae Green, Justin Smith. You're like, okay, these guys are uh, Zach McGrubbs. These guys have been here. There's a lot of new pieces being worked in here. And, and that, this was a huge recruiting class. And there's guys like Ray Thompson who were there, but they weren't on the court. They may know the offense, but they haven't executed in a game setting. It's different. Uh, and, and you got guys like Al Durham who played last year and played well at times, but a lot of what he did that was good was sort of freelancing and not working within the offense. It was driving off a kick and getting into the lane. So it's not necessarily working through the system as well. Devontae Green did a lot of freelancing. And, and, and you know, then you've got a guy like Deron Davis who is back, maybe a little banged up now, but is back, but he didn't play a full season in this office. So there's a lot of guys who need to get reps in this offense during a game and, and and that's key because during practice and during a game are two different worlds in a game you're in a practice you get the offense into your head in a game you actually have to go through the motions before you realize what you're doing and see the effects of it so it's gonna take time it's gonna be a process we're gonna you're you're gonna hear you we're gonna annoy the heck out of you with the word process this year but that's what <laughs> it, it it takes time and it's it's about developing that chemistry as you said and about also developing you know the ability to execute on the court during a game all right from jd how do you as analysts decide what you should be looking for in a game like chicago state where the opponent projects to be so poor what stats traits against bad teams translate best to better competition so here's That's what i would say question. it That's is a great, great question. question and what i would say is you look for habits Right. In games like this, you look for things that are habits. So I would like to see the turnovers be kept down because keeping turnovers down is a habit. I would like to see us rebound consistently on the defensive end because that is a habit. I'm not that worried about whatever we shoot. Obviously, you'd like to see the team shoot great because that would be more evidence that this is a better shooting team. But I would rather see us take good shots because shot selection is a habit over just making the shots. Um, so those are the types of things to me. It, you know, these early games, you're looking to build identity, you're looking to build habits. And so, you know, defense. I think defense is a habit, and I think Chicago State is not a good offensive team. If we don't hold them to you know, 0 0.8, 0 0.7 points per possession, or maybe far lower than that, I would be concerned about that. That's a number. So those things that are the, and numbers that are really dictated by habits, not necessarily the bounce of a ball 
you know, on one particular night. That's what I look for in games like this. Yeah, I, for me, it's going to be less tangible statistical stuff. It's how do these guys work together? Do they, you know, off a dribble, does a guy know where another guy's going to be? Is their chemistry developing? Do you see two-man games developing? Like Romeo and Juwan on the same side of the floor in the offense, maybe Romeo on the wing, Juwan in the post. Do they work a two-man game automatically? Like, is that instinctive? Uh, do got, Are guys cutting hard? Do they... Uh, look engaged does the ball move Th those are all big things for me because when you're playing an opponent like this you tend to go into it thinking okay we're gonna win it's just how we're gonna win and a lot of times guys in say the second half as we saw during the exhibition kind of get wild and think oh i got an opportunity to go down and get a sweet dunk or you know you get ahead of yourselves when it's like okay dial it back let's make sure the ball goes in the hoop as opposed to worrying about you know are you going to reverse it or are you going to throw it down from the front you know it, it's it's just a matter of can they stay, and this is such coach speak, and I hate it, but can they stay within themselves and kind of figure out how to do all the right things first and then worry about doing the fun things? And and it's that that's certainly what I'll be looking for. Again, also chemistry defensively. When you're playing a, a team that's not that great, do you jump into passing lanes too much to try and get steals and be flashy? Or are you doing the right thing, closing out to your guy, making sure he misses that three so you can get the rebound and that way you get out in transition? Uh, you know, it's it's just about being playing smarter instead of playing to just destroy a team. And and really, that's what these games are useful for. And definitely, certainly working through some stuff in the half court. I bet Archie at some point, if they're up big, will pull the chains back and say, "Hey, look, let's let's slow down. Let's not get out in transition. Let's walk the ball up and let's run through through some offensive sets." And uh, you know, almost calling off the dogs as far as transition goes. And, and I think that that would be a smart thing to do. Let's work through some offensive sets. Let's see what we've got here and yeah. let's get used to running it in the game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the majority of stuff, like you said, it's not going to be stuff that, that shows up in the stat sheet, you know, like, uh, like Dylan said in, the uh, in the chat, you know, the pick and roll defense, the communication, like you said, the kind of the continuity on defense. Right. And I would say, you know, I would judge it much more by the first half and the first five minutes out in the second half. And I'm not going to, you know, be too critical of probably the final 15 minutes of what we expect to be a blowout, a pretty well, big blowout. A lot of deep bench guys to play a lot if if it goes the way we expect it. Hey, dude, we're talking about this like it's a guaranteed win. Let's just go out and win the game. That's the first thing. And it, look, we've had bad results in the past when we expected to win. I'm yeah, gonna, but this I'm team gonna, is a lot worse than Indiana I, State last year. I mean, th I, I this know, game, I if know. this game is not a laugher that is decided in the first 10, 15 minutes, I think there's something to be concerned about. Seriously. I know. I just don't want to get too far ahead of myself and then have this, you know, on the internet forever. Um, <laughs> but, but no, I, I, you know, the go out in the first half and win the game in the first half. And then the second half, you can work on stuff. I think yeah. is, is where you're sort of angling this, go out, blow their doors off. If you have to dominate the first half, and then you can work on stuff, working some guys who haven't played and, and get some reps for everybody. All right, uh, we got time for one, maybe two more. Let's go with Matt's question. Ryan, what do you think Archie's weaknesses are, or what do you think he needs to improve on as a head coach? To the extent that we know this, having only kind of experienced one season with him without his players. That, and I just want to offer that caveat because it makes it somewhat difficult to know up close what kind of coach Archie is because we haven't really seen his program fully installed with his kind of players yet. Right. I would say half-court offense is 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 a, is a struggle sometimes, and... um Again, it helps when you have great players. Great players make your offense look better, regardless of what your system is. You can have a wide open, only three point shooting system, and if you and and it can be fun to watch and up tempo. But if you have bad shooters and bad players, it really stinks. 
And, 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 and on the reverse, you can have the best half-court offense in the world, but if you don't have guys who can knock down shots, and we saw this last year with Indiana, if you don't have guys who can knock down shots and spread the floor, even if you're trying to score through the paint, other opponents will just pack the paint and dare you to shoot threes, and it's impossible to succeed. So you need to have, <clears throat> excuse me, talent is, is the biggest uh, advantage you have. So he's gone out and he's recruited well. Now it's about getting those guys to buy into the system. And it seems like they are. I mean, guys seem really excited to play here. So it, look, it, it, we will know more about this year in five to 10 games than we knew all season last year because I feel like if there's a balance on the roster where there wasn't last year. So when you have shooters and you have it, guys who can play inside, it, no matter who you are, or what system you run, it changes the game for you, makes things much more effective because you can spread the floor uh, open up the inside and then you can attack from the inside as well. So that's that balance, that inside out balance is what they really need. But I would say if you're looking at his career, I would say half court offense has been an issue, but now he's got talent to run whatever the heck he wants to run. So it, it'll be interesting to see how that figure, how that figures this year and how that changes. Okay. One last question, Jared. To that um, I, yeah, I generally agree with that. I mean, it's, I, I like I said, I still feel like it's a little bit too early to know, but I think it would be it on is. the offensive side of the ball. You know, I think you know, look, we've only seen him one season, and it was the worst three point shooting team in school history, and that was in large part because of the shooters on the roster. You know, I, I thought we got a lot of good looks, we just missed them. But yeah, I think that, that, was the, that thing. the offense created good looks. They just yeah, you know, I think that that's maybe my one question long term about Archie is as basketball goes more and more to being driven by the three point line. You know, does he value the three point line in the same way? that it seems like you need to value it moving forward. And I feel like he's a smart enough coach. He'll adjust and do what he needs to do. Um, but that that's just kind of one of my questions that I'm going to kind of be watching moving forward. I can't necessarily judge it one way or the other. I just want to, that's one of the things that I really want to see as we move forward with him. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think that he is smart enough to adjust. I think he's a guy who pays attention to analytics and pays attention to all these advanced statistical things that are happening. And that's good for the future of the program because You've got to notice, I mean, it, the Warriors, I love everyone gives credit to the Warriors for this, but I mean, really the credit should first of all go to Mike D'Antoni in, in when he was with the Phoenix Suns for realizing this, but one shot is worth three points, another shot is worth two points. Hey, I had a t-shirt that said that when I was in high school. Yeah. So, I mean, I played, I mean, I played basketball in the wrong era. But it's true, though. It, it is true. I mean, it, you do get an advantage. You get a 50% more from making one shot to the other. It's a harder shot to make, certainly, but not if you practice it as much as you want. I mean, Jordan Hulls was standing out there on the three-point line. As Dick Vitale said, it's like a layup for him. And, and <laughs> yep. it's true. If he was open, it was like a layup. So y there is an advantage there. And the statistics all say you're better off shooting threes than twos. Of course, you need to have the shooters who can make them, and, and that's the difference. So we'll see how Archie adjusts. He's not a guy who I think is is set in his ways and, and certainly no. gets bogged down with that kind of stuff. Okay, last question. Let's hit this one quick, uh, Ryan. This is from Alex. What player proportionally improved their stock the most in the exhibition game? For example, with only four guards, Finnessy was expected to play but did better than expected. Additionally, many fans talked of preferring to redshirt Demisi, and he excelled too. So for you, who do you think kind of improved their stock the most in that exhibition Probably. Probably Demisi. I expected Rob Finnessy to be solid. He was better than I thought uh, he would play in that first game. Uh, and we all love Rob, and we all think he's going to be great. But I thought he played mm -hmm. better in that first game. But it, but as far as you know, where they fit in as to where I thought they would, I think Demisi played really well. I think that's a guy who's clearly <clears throat> wants to play and and is showing that. And 
he, it's interesting with Demisi, and I was going to bring this up, and I'll, I'll probably talk about this more expanded on the radio show since it's a shot doctor-ish thing. You look at the way Evan Fitzner shoots, and you look at his follow-through and his form and everything, and it's it's picture perfect. You can tell he is a shooter, and and the way he finishes, and you watch the ball go in, and it hits nothing but net. You watch Demisi shoot, and his form is off. He doesn't jump very much. His body twists, whatever, but it goes in. But the thing is, you never see him hit the ball nothing but net. He's a guy, and there are two types of shooters, and, and this is, this is a, a thing that I talk about with some basketball guys, and they agree. There's two types of shooters. There's guys who are shooters, and, and they hit nothing but net, and they're, they're all about the perfect shot. And there's guys who, put, who shoot the ball into the inside of the rim, basically. They put the ball on the inside of the rim, and that's what Demisi is. And he's a guy who gets the ball into the inside of the rim. He's not a pure shooter. Pure shooters will look every time the ball looks amazing when it goes to the hoop. And Demisi, Every time it looks ugly going to the hoop, but the caveat, the thing is it goes in. And, and so no matter how he shoots it, whatever he does, it goes in. And uh, I, I, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I mean, does he get more playing time? Is this a guy they were looking at possibly red shirting like they did with Ray Thompson? He certainly needs to get stronger. He certainly needs to work on his athleticism and, and movement skills offensively and defensively. I would be fine if they're red shirted him. But if he can get you, if he can hit shots off the bench like that, maybe he needs to be a weapon that's that's deployed. But there's so many guys that are going to play this year. I'm wondering what uh, if that's the right call. Tough coming off the worst shooting team in history to a redshirt guy that just I, came out I and made four, four out of well, seven. You, can also, you don't have to say <laughs> from the beginning like this guy is definitely redshirt. You don't yeah. have to say don't play him, and then at the end of the season say yeah, it's a redshirt. Yeah. Um, but. You can also sort of lay it out to him as like, hey, we're going to redshirt you, but if we need you in emergency, we're going to waste that year of eligibility. That's just the way it works. Yep. Um, so, I mean, I remember last year when uh, Deron Davis went down, there was talk about pulling the redshirt off Reese Thompson. Uh, they stuck with it, which I thought was the right move. But, you know, maybe this is something where you kind of have him in your back pocket all year and decide what to do. Yeah. Okay, uh, coming up on the assembly call, it is time for our Big Ten Roundup with Mike DeCourcy from BTN and the Sporting News. This week we have six burning questions about Big Ten hoops that we're going to pose to Mike. Stick with us to hear how he answers here on the assembly call. Welcome back to Banner Monday. Each week here in our second segment, we zoom out to look at how things are going across the Big Ten Conference, and there's no one better to provide insight on Big Ten basketball than Mike DeCourcy, who covers Big Ten hoops for BTN, in addition to his columns for the Sporting News. Mike, welcome back to Banner Monday. I'm looking forward to doing this all year, Jared, especially once you and I can talk about actual games. Won't that be a treat? Yes. That's yes, coming. it will. Yes, it will. We had we had an exhibition game, but finally coming this week, we have real games, um, which I'm very excited about. And you and I have kind of organized uh, kind of a set of topics that we want to go through each week once the season starts. Um, you know, we'll obviously look back at Indiana's recent games and then talk about the Big Ten as well. But with one more week before we really get get some games that we can analyze... I just I opened it up to some folks in our pro 
private community to see what they were interested to get your opinion on. And so we got, I, th I thought, some really interesting questions. So I want to hit these with you. Um, we'll go one by one. I'm going to start uh, with, this is a question that I had written a while ago. Uh, so this one this one comes from me, but it's, uh, it, it's, <laughs> it's, here, it's here at the top of the list. So we'll just start with that one. Um, and, and it's about the other freshmen in the conference. So besides Romeo Langford, who is just, you know, the huge odds-on favorite to be Big Ten Freshman of the Year, which other freshmen in the conference are going to have the biggest roles and be counted on the most by their teams this year? Well, I'd start at Maryland with Jalen Smith, who led their team in scoring in their exhibition game. They need that kind of pop on the wings. You lose uh, the players that they lost uh, from a year ago. Justin Jackson, who obviously didn't play a whole lot, but uh, he was in your program and they were counting on him. Uh, and Kevin Herter, who's uh, also a pro now. And so you need some guys to come in on the wings and do some things. I, I thought uh, Daryl Morsell showed a little bit of uh, promise a year ago and just didn't quite get all the way there. And some of that was uh, some of that was opportunity, and some of that was just being a freshman. But uh, Justin Smith might be the most talented player, or certainly their most talented perimeter player in their program. Uh, and Jalen, so Jalen, you mean? Jalen Smith. Yeah, excuse me, Jalen Smith. Uh, there, I get confused there for a second <laughs> with the. Uh, but uh, Jalen Smith uh, is is maybe the most talented program player in Maryland's program, so I think he's got a chance to do some special things. Uh, Michigan did not lose a lot, uh, but they have an opening in their in their starting lineup. In the, and in the exhibition, it was Ignas uh, Radzakis, and I, I liked him a lot when I saw him during the recruiting process. I thought that he had a chance to be very good. It's so physically tough really skilled, can do a lot of different things with the basketball. Obviously not the same player as Mo Wagner. He's not 6'11", but they need punch. I mean, they're a defensive team first, and they need guys who can put the ball in the bucket, and I think he's one of the guys who might be able to do that. And then at Minnesota, you've got Daniel Otoro, uh, and you're talking about a, a team that a year ago was all banged up and thought, okay, if we can get through this year with no injuries, boy, we'll be fine. And then what do you know, Eric Curry, first thing out uh, uh, before they even get to, to an exhibition game, he gets hurt. Uh, and that pushes Otoru into the spotlight that much faster. And he handled it well in the exhibition game. Uh, again, you're playing against Division II players, so it's not the same thing. But uh, not everybody goes out and gets a double-double in the exhibition game. Lots of guys don't. Uh, and, you know, they're playing against Division II players too. Yeah. We had a... Uh... We had Brendan Quinn on podcast on the brink this off season who covers uh, Michigan state, Michigan for the athletic. And he said he was, I don't remember who it was, but he was talking to someone kind of close to Michigan's program. And their comparison for Ignas Brasdakis was a cross between Calvert Chaney and Brian Cardinal. And I was <laughs> like, that, that's quite a comparison to make on an Indiana basketball podcast. <laughs> like, you know, we're, we're going to have to see him play before we're going to allow that one. <laughs> but obviously if he's anything like those two guys, he's going to be a heck of a player. So We'll see. Yeah, I, you don't expect the, a guy to have a career like them. I mean, but you, you, Calvert Chaney is one of the hundred greatest players of all time, according to my book, and uh, and and Brian Cardinal uh, is one of the hundred best paid players of all time <laughs> per per point per career point. I think. Yes, but he, he was a tremendous player for Purdue. Almost got him. Almost got him to the Final Four in two thousand. No, he did. Uh, okay, number two. This is from Matt. What, and, and we just talked about this. Ryan and I just talked about this earlier. Interested to get your thoughts. What do you think Archie could most improve upon as a head coach? You know, I don't want this to come off wrong because 
But I think it's first about he, if you want to, him to improve something, it's getting more great players because at, at Dayton there, he recruited very well for Dayton, but the ceiling is where it is. Uh, you're trying, you know, only if everybody else, you know, is asleep, essentially, are you going to get a superstar at Dayton? Uh, yeah, that just doesn't happen very often any longer. You know, there was a time uh, when a Wally Zerbiak could end up at a Miami of Ohio. It really doesn't happen anymore. So uh, it, I think from that standpoint, and then, of course, he got Romeo here. But in order for him to continue to succeed and continue to elevate the program, and I think every Indiana fan would agree with this, you just need to continue to get more Romeos or more guys who are close to that level. And this is this is this class, I thought, honestly, the, the class that is, fre- is, is that are freshmen now really is a step ahead of what should have been possible. So I'm not saying he's not recruiting at the level that he needs to. I mean, this 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 the 2018 entering class is is a level is really probably two levels ahead of what they should have been able to do or what an ordinary uh, circumstance might be able to accomplish. The two things different here: one, Arch is terrific and he's got a terrific staff. And two, Indiana is Indiana, and you can get a Robert Finnessy uh, to to you know to, you can turn his head in in his in your first year on the on the job because you're Indiana and he's in Indiana and there's a natural draw there. So I I, I wouldn't say that what he accomplished with the 18 class is ridiculous, but it's what you want and what you expect. And in order for him to continue, uh, and for Indiana to continue to grow in the direction that they want. That has to continue to become routine and actually, you know, you might even want to step it up another couple of levels. You might want to have, you know, two, three guys that are in the top 40 level uh, in some of the classes. I, the, re- the reason I chose that answer is in large part because I don't know that, you know, he's not really weak in a lot of areas. I mean, his defenses have been really tough. His teams play with great mental toughness. You know, offensively, they've shown the ability to maximize what they have. And they've shown great uh, versatility, adaptability. You know, when Jawan emerged last year as a player who could play both inside and out in certain matchups, I mean, they jumped all over that. And the Notre Dame game against, you know, one of the great coaches in college basketball is a great example of that. So that's why I went with just continuing to get better, you know, more and better players because I, that that's a lifeblood for any program and for Indiana coming back from where they were uh, in the previous uh, regime, which was very successful, but that's the area where honestly they struggled the most was just, was not finding guys who could play. They had Jawan Morgan and, uh, and they had Victor Oladipo and they had, but, but getting guys that are really respected and really successful uh, and that can, that you, you don't need to be surprised to see them succeed. They're ready to go pretty much when they get there. Yep. All right. Next question. This is from coach and, uh, and this is coach Tonsoni. This is definitely a coach type question. What team in the big 10 has the most game ready depth? Yeah. You know, I think that uh, the audience for this podcast is going to love this because I don't know that there's any other answer, but Indiana, uh, because, um, Honestly, the, the one thing about this league and the thing that I think to some extent keeps any or, or many of the teams from being overwhelming favorites to be successful or great, uh, why you don't see anybody in the Big Ten 
maybe rated ahead, ahead above nine or ten in various rankings, whether it's ours or Athlons or uh, or uh, ESPNs or or the AP poll. Uh, you don't see a lot of them because there are a, a handful of very good teams that return three and four or maybe five rotation players, but there aren't a lot that aren't at least a little bit dependent on the freshmen to be special or, or really uh, to contribute a lot. Uh, Indiana, I think certainly needs that as well, but you're looking at, when you look at their team and you look at the guys who are on the roster, you know, you got a Deron Davis, who's, you know, unlikely to start unless things were to change. Uh, you've got Al Durham, uh, who needs to fight his way back into the rotation. Didn't get a lot of minutes uh, in the exhibition game. Uh, you've got uh, the the grad transfer, uh, Fitz, Fitzner, uh, Evan Fitzner, who, you know, I think uh, he, he's a guy who's played a lot of college basketball, three years, and uh, and he'll have a chance to, to contribute as well with his size. And, of course, Devontae Green didn't play at all in the exhibition. Uh, we don't know whether or not he'll start. Uh, that's still... Uh, up for grabs when when they go out on the floor uh, on Tuesday night, but uh, you know that's another guy who certainly has played a ton of college basketball, and and so they've got they've got terrific depth there, and I you know I think that they still have a lot of things that they need to cover to be special as a team, but they they have an advantage over a lot of teams in the number of players that they that are on their roster and that are likely to be in their rotation who've played in really big Big Ten games. Yeah, and, and the injuries in the exhibition game made it difficult. Like Al played and then left early. Duran left early. Devontae didn't play. Race Thompson, Jerome Hunter didn't play. So we didn't really get to see the full extent of that depth in the exhibition game. Uh, Devontae will be back. And like you said, it'll be interesting to see if he starts Tuesday night. Um, I think we would assume that it'll be him uh, that starts. But Al and Race are both look like they're going to be out for the, the rest of this week for the first two games this week. So hopefully they can get back for next Tuesday night against Marquette because we'll certainly need them. Uh, next question from Jonathan. What are the five strongest defensive teams in the league? Five's a lot. I mean, that, that, that <laughs> when you, if you have five strong defensive teams, you have a great league, right? Yes. Uh, well, I, when I look at it, um, I, the first team that comes to mind is Michigan. They, we would never have said that five years ago, two years ago, that, that Michigan would be a, a super strong defensive team. But they were a very special defensively by the end of last season. Uh, once uh, Xavier Simpson uh, got into into place and, and became their point guard of record and, and really drove that with his on-the-ball defense, he elevated everybody. Now, some of the guys that made that uh, one of the best defenses in the country, or at least were part of that, uh, are gone. But I think that what they have back are guys that even fit that orientation better. Uh, Jordan Poole, uh, I think, is going to be a better perimeter defender. Uh, not necessarily than Muhammad Ali or Abdurrahman, but better than Duncan Robinson, for instance. Uh, Isaiah Livers, uh, who played, those guys obviously played a lot last year, but they'll be, you know, they'll be 28, 30 minute players now. And, and I think they have great length and, and great spring and, uh, in, and real, you know, real good dynamism. And, and I think that they'll be able to help make that team even better defensively than it was a year ago. Michigan State has traditionally been great defensively. I don't see any reason why that would change. And yeah, I, I'll stop it at three. And I think the third one, and I think the reason I went with the third one was because I think Penn State needs to be great defensively. Now, they probably got the best perimeter defender in the league in Josh Reeves. 
a player that I, I admire his approach and, and his ability to go after it. Uh, and I, I think that uh, he'll be a, a terrific defender, but I think their backcourt needs to be really strong defensively, or I think they're going to have problems staying competitive in the league. No, Iowa. Not, not, not buying into the Iowa defensive resurgence this year. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they will be better, yes. but, uh, they still, you know, they still need to go a long way before they're going to crack this list. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Uh, this next one is from JD. So last year, everyone basically overprojected Minnesota and Northwestern, both underwhelmed for different reasons. Minnesota had a rash of injuries and suspensions and, uh, obviously Northwestern just kind of fell flat. Who are national analysts making that same mistake on in the big 10 this year? Boy, you know, I, I don't want to, they're not going to go the, to this level. But the one that I keep having questions about and the one I'm really curious about is Purdue. And not because people think they're going to be good. I think they're going to be good. But I see them crop up in various top 25s. And um, I, I, that'd be great. You know, Matt's a great coach and, uh, and they've got some very fine players. But that's all right. To lose what they lost and to not overwhelm you with new recruits. And so the, the, I think that says a lot for what people think uh of matt uh and what they think of the program but i still think that for them to be top 25 that's going to be that's that's more than i expect are people it's the best way to are people overrating matt harms like is his reputation right now better than his production at least what he's proven because i think people are expecting a lot out of him this year and and maybe he hasn't necessarily shown that he's ready to produce at that level matt at the end of last year got what I thought was worn down uh, and it's a, to worry a little bit that he got worn down playing uh, in limited minutes, but some of that might've been just practice worn down. I mean, he was going against Isaac Koss all that time and that may have been what wore him out. Uh, but he certainly has ability and defensively uh, he's a big upgrade. And that's not an, again, again, not to insult Isaac Koss, but Matt Harms, when he went in the game, changed games defensively. So yeah. that's your hope for Purdue, but he's got to be able to stay in games and I, don't, I think it's less foul trouble than it is stamina to be able to play 25 plus minutes. If he does, I think that part, I think the rest of it is covered. He's very skilled. Uh, Uh-oh, we lost Mike, which, hey, that happens, especially on these live shows. Um, the uh, the Purdue Hackers, Alex says, yes, it was the Purdue Hackers. They didn't like uh, my follow-up question about Matt Harms. Um, the last question that I had for Mike, and I'll just I'll ask it here and discuss it for a second while we wait to see if he pops back on. Um, what team in the Big Ten that doesn't have a true star player? So eliminate it, to me. You know, you think about the star players in the Big Ten. You know, Carson Edwards, Ethan Happ. You could probably throw Nebraska in there with James Palmer Jr. I would say Indiana as well um, with you know Romeo Langford and Jawan Morgan. Which team that doesn't have a star player could benefit the most from having one? You know, and I guess as I was kind of thinking about this, I think certainly you look at a team like Penn State. Last year, they had a star player in Tony Carr and had one of the best seasons that they've had in a long time. They've got some really good supporting players like Josh Reeves and Lamar Stevens. So in terms of them trying to, you know, get their way into the top half of the Big Ten and stay there and have a couple of good seasons in a row, I think they would certainly qualify there. But I think... At, you know, at the top of the conference, I would say Michigan. And I guess that depends on your definition of a star player. If you think that Charles Matthews is a star player, then maybe he doesn't qualify. I don't think so. I think he played a supporting role last year. Their star player was Mo Wagner. 
And so for Michigan, we know they're going to have the infrastructure. We know they're going to have good defense. They obviously have great coaching. Who's kind of their go-to guy? Who is that star? And, you know, they've, they've got several guys that are going to be good, Jordan Poole and Charles Matthews and, you know, and on and on. But they, to me, seem like a team that could really benefit from kind of having that one guy, uh, that star player. Um, and Michigan State's going to be interesting, too, because they lost kind of their two stars in Miles Bridges and Jaron Jackson, and they have a lot of good complementary pieces. Can any of those guys step up to be stars? We just don't know because we haven't seen those guys uh, in those roles yet. So, uh, but let's bring Mike back on here. And we'll see if we can get his answer to that question real quick. I just gave you mine. Um, Mike's going to pop back on. And let me unmute him. Mike, you're back. Second. I apologize. Ed, no problem. As they said in the chat, we start talking Purdue and the Purdue hackers cut us off. So that's just uh, <laughs> that's just what happens. So let me, let's go to the last question here real quick. And I appreciate uh, you coming back on. Um, this is from Alex. It's a, it's a really interesting question. So what team in the Big Ten that doesn't have a true star player could benefit the most from having one. And to me, I would say that you eliminate Purdue, Wisconsin, Nebraska, and probably Indiana, because I feel like those four have star. Maybe you would say Minnesota, too, with Jordan Murphy. I guess he could qualify. Um, but who would you say uh, uh, you know, that doesn't have a star player but has kind of the infrastructure and the role players kind of built that could benefit most from having one? I went with Penn State. Uh, same one that I said. I, I did the same. I answered the question while you were gone. There you go. Uh I, Penn State, I think, uh, if 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 they had kept on uh, from a year ago, uh, if they had kept uh, the players that they had in place, they might have developed that. Uh, but with the vacancies that they have in the backcourt, I no, I don't think Michael Watkins is going to be a star player, and I don't. And Josh Reeves is one of my favorite players in the league, but he is what he is. I suppose Lamar Stevens could develop into this, especially if he started to make more deep shots. But I, I think he could be a guy that could carry a, a team. I, I, Tony Carr could have been that guy if he were willing. And, and I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying he's not working at it, but if he were willing to return and work at his deficiencies, specifically his inability to, to play around toughness. I mean, uh, physical contact. He was not a, Play through contact guy. He was he was a guy who needed great freedom to be successful. Uh, and so, if he had come back and committed to that, he might have been a guy who could have been a, a carry the team kind of star. But if you could just you know throw them a Romeo Langford or something like that, I mean, you're talking about a team that maybe uh, would be a top twenty top twenty type team. Uh, they 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 just don't have right now anybody visible that you say to yourself, that guy's going to get you 18 to 20 on a night. Uh, and for a team that sometimes offense uh, has been a chore of late, uh, that could really be helpful. But as I said, don't, don't be shocked if Lamar Stevens finds a way to develop into that player. Last question. What's the thing that you're most looking forward to at the uh, champions classic Tuesday night? Wow. I, you know, I think the thing that I'm really most looking forward to is seeing Zion Williamson in, in a college uniform and, and what that looks like and what that develops into. I, I don't know if I've told this story before, um, but a, a year ago, I know I've told it before. I don't know if I told it to you. Uh, a year ago or a year and a half ago, uh, I was in uh, South Carolina for the Peach Jam and and I took the uh, the Friday at the end of uh, the Friday morning sessions at the Peach Jam, I got in my car and I drove to Spartanburg, South Carolina, where 
Adidas was holding their tournament specifically because Zion Williamson was from Spartanburg, South Carolina, and they had a great facility there. So it wasn't like uh, everybody had to cram into a little high school gym or anything. It was a fabulous uh, basketball facility. And I get there and because I'm arriving late, like three o'clock or two o'clock or whatever on Friday, they don't have any more rosters. So all I have is a schedule and I know which team he plays for. And so I say, okay, well, the, they're playing in 10 minutes. So I go over to the court where he's playing and I start to watch the game and I say, and I'm, so I don't know which one he is, honestly. Um, and I'm looking out at, on the floor and I see five guys in his uniform and I'm like, well, it can't be that guy because I have seen Zion Williamson dunk on tape and nobody who's that big could do the things I've seen on tape, <laughs> but it was him. That's how crazy athletic he is. He is the biggest most powerful athlete, you know, run, jump above the rim guy that I've ever seen. Hmm. I mean, it's, it just, he should not physically be able to do the things that he can do. So that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be a great college basketball player. I think it does. I think he will, yeah. but I'm just fascinated to see what he looks like as a college player, how, how Duke uses him, uh, where they play him, how he uses his strength without, you know, obviously, you can get in foul trouble pretty quickly in college basketball. So all that sort of plays in, and I'm fascinated to see how it plays out. Follow him on Twitter, at TSN Mike. Watch him. You'll be doing the same studio stuff for BTN this year that you did I last will. year? Yes. Uh, I, I'll start. Uh, I have a, a couple of dates, in uh, one in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, and then a couple in the first week of uh, league play. And then I'll be on every Saturday, Sunday, uh, starting with the uh, – January conference games and we'll be doing Big Ten basketball and beyond again this year really excited about getting back to that I think it's our ninth year as a show and wow. uh, uh, Dave Revson and I still hanging in there from the original cast we miss our our guy Jimmy Jackson but uh, we've had you know great people uh, Steve Bardo and uh, and and Sean Morris and and Robbie Hummel and, and all those guys that uh, have tried to fill those big shoes that Jimmy left yeah, very cool. Well, Mike, we always appreciate your insight. Thanks for joining us again on Banner Monday. Okay, Jared, thank you. All righty, and coming up, it is time for another edition of Basketball 201 with Ben Ladner. We're going to stay on the defensive side of the ball and talk about the pack line defense, learn more about Archie's preferred style of D next. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. Welcome back to Banner Monday here at the Assembly Call. We don't just want to make you a smarter IU basketball fan. We want to make you a smarter basketball fan, period. And that is the purpose of these Basketball 201 segments. You already know the basics of the game, but in this segment, we go next level to dissect the concepts and strategies that teams employ in the pursuit of victory. Pay attention to these segments, and you'll have a deeper understanding of what's going on out there on the court while you're watching IU play. And as we had in our first two installments of Basketball 201, we are very pleased to have Ben Ladner back with us, senior at IU this year one of our interns, both at the Assembly Call and Podcast on the Brink. Someone asked me earlier today what you're majoring in. Uh, journalism. Journal Just regular, straight up. But they let you specialize and concentrate in certain things. So I've technically got a sports journalism okay. concentration, but that doesn't, you know, it doesn't get me out of the boring classes. So. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All righty. So, so we're going to talk pack line defense. And, uh, you know, I think most Indiana fans 
you know, probably gained some understanding of the pack line last year. Obviously, this is you know, this is Archie Miller's defense. This is the defense that you know, I'm pretty sure that his dad plays in in high school. It's certainly the defense that Sean plays at Arizona. Um, it's you know, similar defense, obviously, to what uh, Tony Bennett is playing at Virginia. And so we've clearly seen many teams across the country have a lot of success with this defense. And so. Let's just use this segment to to give an overview, go over some of the basic concepts and tenets of the pack line, and then I know that you have a couple of videos that we want to go over. How would you describe the overall philosophy of the pack line and what you're trying to do when you're playing a pack line defense? Yeah, so the pack line is mostly it's first and foremost, it's about putting pressure on the ball. Whoever is guarding the ball needs to be up in his man, applying pressure, um, and, and you know, guarding his yard, so to speak, um, you know, making him feel uncomfortable and trying to prevent a straight line drive. And that's really what, what the whole defense is about in general, is shutting off dribble penetration and eliminating looks at the basket. That That's kind of, at its core, what it's most about. And it, you know, it aims to take away threes, it aims to t- do a lot of other things and um, you know that any, would, any defense would. But at its core, it's about preventing dribble penetration, stopping shots at the rim. So the way they do that is they apply strong ball pressure um, with, with usually a guard. Uh, who's initiating the possession. And then all other four defenders um, are in what's called gap position. And the the reason they call it a pack line is because it's sort of this imaginary line or, you know, 16, 17 feet, a couple steps inside the three-point line, this imaginary line that the defenders kind of stay inside of or on while they're in help defense. So you've got a guy kind of at the point of attack and then two guys on the side, assuming the ball's up top, kind of in this gap position so that if a drive occurs, they're able to just slide over, rotate, stop that drive, and then recover to their man or wherever the ball gets kicked out to. Um, so just a, a little history on it. It was developed by Dick Bennett at Washington State uh, a little while, probably many, many years ago. Um, and that's, uh, I think they're the Cougars, so that's why they call it the pack line. Um, I, oh, would, I, would I did assume. not know that. <laughs> yeah, so you, okay. you mentioned Tony Bennett, Sean Miller are two guys who run it, uh, Chris Mack now at Louisville, has been known to run this defense. So it's fairly widely used uh, and it's, you know, more so in college than in the NBA, just because schematically there are certain things that, and ability wise, the NBA players are better. They're able to, you know, pick it apart a little bit easier. So it's more effective in the college ranks. You don't really see it too much at the NBA level, but I've got a quick video here that, uh, that will help kind of illustrate just some basic pack line concepts this is a video and, that and again actually... and again if you're listening on the podcast you can go to youtube.com slash assembly call find episode 435 and go to you know about the 50 52 minute mark which is when these segments usually start and you'll find it and then ben you and i are going to pull those videos out and we'll eventually have just our basketball 201 segments there they're not there yet but eventually we'll have a whole playlist just for those videos so we'll yeah. try and describe it as best we can but if you want to see the visual go to the youtube page so this is a video you know, people who have watched the last two episode, episodes may recognize this. It's one I use to demonstrate drop, pick, and roll coverage. Um, but I want to focus on a, some different elements uh, this time around. Same game against Michigan uh, in Ann Arbor, as we touched on uh, the first time we watched it. Not a great showing for Indiana. Uh, this is uh, They're already down 14 points 12 minutes into the game. But a strong defensive possession here nonetheless. It starts with a ball screen by Michigan. Mo Wagner comes up. Left side of the floor, they're trying to go middle. Wagner sets the screen on Josh Newkirk, who's guarding the ball. Jawan Morgan comes up to, to play the ball. But what I want to focus on here is where Colin Hartman is. You see him as the ball gets as, as the ball screen is set, Hartman rotates over and he's standing, you know, basically at the foul line. 
and his man is is kind of more over on the wing. But in the pack line defense, the principles dictate that these two guys, Colin Hartman up top, and then Zach McRoberts, who's defending the guy in the corner, these guys are basically on the midline of the paint. And that's, you know, that's part of stopping that dribble penetration. If the ball handler turns the corner and goes middle, Colin Hartman is there and the ball's not going to get through the middle of the paint because you've got two help defenders there. Now, it does give opportunities to, you know, make this pass one pass away or make the skip pass to the corner if the ball handler is adept enough to do that. But really, I mean, you you can tell they're they're really forming a wall around the paint and they're not going to let anyone get in the middle and get a shot at the rim. So we see the ball handler. We'll rewind it a little bit. Come around the screen. Morgan drops. Nice job on the on the two man coverage. And Colin Hartman kind of stays there in the middle. And then when the ball's kicked out to uh, Duncan Robinson here on the wing, it's on. It's it's incumbent upon this man, who's the helper, one pass away. He needs to sprint over, and especially on a guy like Duncan Robinson, who can shoot a little bit, needs to sprint over and close out, which Hartman does. Forces the drive, and then on that second drive by Duncan Robinson, you can see Josh Newkirk. He's not hugging up against his man. A lot of man-to-man principles uh, will will dictate that if you're one pass away, you're what's called on the line, up the line, where you know this guy instead of standing here at the in the the top of the key like Newkirk is here would have you know his back turned to the ball with a handout in ball denial position to make sure this guy doesn't get the ball back. The pack line it's a little bit of a softer man to man at least on the ball. So Hartman's applying the ball pressure here. Newkirk one pass away. Robinson tries to drive here and attack this closeout, but because of the help, he's not able to. So then he has to kick it back out, and Michigan resets the possession. They don't get anything out of it, and there's seven on the shot clock. So, um, you know, that that's a, a pretty good job there by Indiana, and then the whole time McRoberts is over here kind of keeping tabs on his man in the corner, ready to help and be this last line of defense if it would have come to that. So, you know, Essentially, the philosophy here is the highest percentage shot is a shot at the rim. So you're trying to keep right. guys from being able to just drive in and get some of those easy shots, which we saw, unfortunately, all the time in the Tom Crean era. This yep. defense is designed to prevent that and also to try and just prevent that kind of penetration into the middle that can really just completely discombobulate your defense. Yeah. Now, it, dispel a myth or, I guess, you know, perpetuate it if you want to. But obviously last year, you know, with a few of the outlier games that Indiana had against Indiana State and Fort Wayne, and then, you know, you saw what happened to Virginia against UMBC and everybody really, really, you know, just kind of like latched on to that. And you got this little groundswell of fear that the pack line defense can't defend three-point shots, despite the fact that Virginia annually is one of the best teams in the country at defending the three, and the evidence doesn't really back that up. But you can see, even from that video, like there are going to be some opportunities for, you know, if you have a guy with some vision and the ability to deliver a pass, you're, you know, guys are going to have the opportunity to get the ball in position to shoot some threes. So number one, do you think the pack line is particularly vulnerable to three-point shooting? And number two, what do you need maybe in terms of personnel or how you particularly play the pack line defense to help defend the three-point shot, which we know is becoming increasingly more important? Yeah, I, I agree. I think it is vulnerable to threes. I think, um, you know, like you said, Indiana State, Fort Wayne, these guys with some shooting big men in particular, but really any team with good shooters, you know, when you've got those guys who aren't hugging up on the shooters one pass away, they're kind of more sagging into the paint and and shutting off the drive. You know, if you're able to get past your man and draw that help defender, it's just one simple kickout pass. And if it's a good shooter, you know, that that's a 35, 40% shot, which, you know, you, you add those up over the course of a game and it really does hurt you. 
So I, that's actually one of my biggest misgivings about the pack line defense is just, you know, before there was this big emphasis and kind of people kind of realized the value of the three point shot before that really happened, you know, the pack line was, was a, a great defense to play in the college ranks because, you know, teams were, they, they were offenses were about getting to the basket, getting the highest percentage shot. But, you know, as people have kind of come around to the idea of, you know, points per shot and effective field goal percentage and things like that, where, you know, that, that show that three pointers are obviously more valuable than twos, you know, threes more than two, um, with people kind of getting wise to that, I do think that you've seen teams that run the pack line, you know, struggle to defend some three point shooting teams. Now, Virginia, you brought up them as a, a team that defends the three pretty well. Uh, and that actually ties into your second question, which is uh, what you need to kind of combat that. I think having good, long, active personnel can help in that just guys who can make that close out a little bit quicker, because if, you know, if you're slow recovering on a shooter, that's going to increase the percentage that he's able to make that shot. And so if you have guys with some length, with some quickness that can get back to that shooter before he has time to get away the three, that's obviously beneficial to the defense. And you're able to kind of cover more ground, be in two places at once, uh, so to speak, and, you know, bother some of those rotation, those swing passes, those kickout passes. And then second, I think institutional knowledge. And that's where Indiana really struggled last season because they were, you know, with a first year head coach, or at least with that personnel. Um, you know, they had a lot of young guys in the rotation, uh, guys who didn't really have a lot of experience playing college basketball at all, let alone under Archie Miller in his system, playing those pack line principles. Virginia is a team that every single year has a lot of roster turnover. They get a lot of really, really smart players in that system. And they've got a great coach in Tony Bennett. And so you see a little bit more translation and a little bit more effectiveness from them, just because it's almost like the San Antonio Spurs in the NBA, where they kind of they're able to just plug guys into that system and make it work because everyone on the team knows it so well. They communicate really well. Uh, and so they're able to make it work. If you have a team that doesn't really grasp uh, the, the, the concepts and kind of the schemes that you want to run, it can be a little tougher. And so defensive communication is really, really key um, because this actually ties in with hedging the pick and roll, which we'll get into the, uh, there's an example of in the next video. And we talked about uh, two episodes ago. But that's one of the big things that the pack line emphasizes is they want to hedge that pick and roll. It's, it's all part of this idea of shutting off dribble penetration, stop that ball handler's path. Uh, and that forces the defense into a lot of really long rotations, and it forces them to be on time with every rotation and really tied together. Otherwise, you give up a passing lane and someone's able to spring open for three. So you need guys that know what they're doing that are able to communicate and kind of move as one, kind of like five guys on one string, just kind of tied in. Uh, so they never really give up those gaps. And that's what Virginia does a really good job of. And, you know, hopefully this year we'll see Indiana with another year of experience under its belt do a better job of that as well. Yeah. So fair to say is the institutional knowledge as the as the defensive culture and just the culture of the pack line grows at Indiana, that will help. Would you say, last question before we get to your video? Yeah. Is it fair to say that this is the kind of defense that maybe if you're like at a mid-major or like a second-tier Big Ten school where you can't recruit top-level athletes, you should seriously question playing this? But if you can recruit like in Arizona, like Indiana should be able to under Archie, even Virginia, where you can get guys like DeAndre Hunter, where you can get big, long athletes that are good basketball players and willing defenders, then you can make this work at the college level, even despite the weaknesses, because that length and athleticism will help you cover up for some of them. Is that fair to say? Yes and no. I, I think it it does help you cover up for some of those. Um, you know, if you have the length and athleticism, you know, it helps you cover for that mistake and it it'll uh, expand the margin of error. But you know, if you execute it right, if you have guys, you know, at a mid major school, for instance, that you know have just been playing this defense for two, three years, maybe even back to high school, 
and they really know what they're doing and they have a coach that teaches it really well, it can actually be an effective defense kind of at the, the lower levels of, of mm-hmm. D1 and, and maybe in the, even in the D2 ranks. Um, you know, you just have to hope that your opponent isn't hot from three and, you know, sometimes hoping that it, it does always work in your favor. It just, it needs to be something you do. Like no one just installs the pack line for one game as like a, you know, as like a gimmick right. defense or something. Like, yes. It's definitely something where the concepts, you know, they need to be drilled over and over and over. Um, and, and it's, it's really, I mean, it's not something you can draw up in a timeout and say, you know, Hey guys, we need to make this adjustment. Like that's, that's something that takes some, some time to get used to and not really something you learn on the fly. Yeah. So for all those Indiana fans that wanted to see more of a defensive culture under Tom Crean and count me among them, you know, this is what we're getting with Archie and the fact that he's so committed to this defensive philosophy is certainly proof of that. Okay. Let's go to your next video then. Yeah. So this is actually, we talked about Virginia. This is a clip from Virginia last season. Uh, I, this was when they were, um, you know, not a a punchline of, of every 16, one joke. Um, so this is a game against NC state and, you know, this is a pretty classic Virginia play that we'll see here where let me see if I can play the video. There we go. So you get a ball screen and there comes the hedge. This is middle ball screen. Uh, the point guards coming off the screen and you've got the big man, the, the, the guy guarding the big man comes all the way out. Like we talked about a couple episodes ago with that hedging defense while the guard fights over the screen, gives a little bit of a, a second kind of a lurch toward the ball just to give him a little bit more pressure and then recovers back. One quick thing, if the ball handler had realized right He's here, late getting back. <laughs> yeah, if the ball hand like we, we showed that clip of the trap with Steph Curry going to Draymond Green last week. Yeah. If this guy, and you'll have to forgive me, I don't know NC State's personnel very well, but if, if this guy's able to see the Roman, and second of all, if the Roman has his head turned, this could be an effective kind of uh, pressure release. You do have to get it over all this length that Virginia has on the ball, but if you're able to get it out of that trap, you know, you have this guy in the corner, you have this guy in the left corner, you have a kickout pass to the wing, or you have the drive with the big man. So you've got some options coming out of that, but they don't see it. So the big man's able to recover. They swing the ball. Here comes a second pick and roll. Now we saw the first pick and roll. They wanted to hedge it because that was a middle pick and roll. And that's one of the you know main tenets of the pack line is middle pick and rolls. You hedge, stop the ball and, and kind of make it, you know, you redirect the ball handler on the side. We talked about icing the pick and roll last week on the side pick and rolls. You want to in the in the pack line, it dictates that you ice the pick and roll. So, uh, Hall, I think this is Hall, does a nice job forcing the ball toward the baseline. You've got your big man. You know, we talked about trapping him kind of in that no man's land in the corner, using the the baseline as kind of a third defender. They're able to force him into the corner because you're not going to get a high percentage shot from this area of the floor. And you have notice how tied in Virginia's other three defenders are here. The only pass that's really open and it's not really even open is this weak side corner, but you're not going to be able to throw the ball from the right corner over all this length, you know, through these help defenders all the way to the other side of the corner. So they're fine leaving that guy open so long as they can recover once the ball is passed to someone else. So they do get it to, to yurt seven here in the high post. And then he turns his back posts up, and immediately Virginia employs the double team on that second dribble. There comes the double team. Now another case of NC state, not having their heads up. The power forward is wide open under the basket, but by the time Yurt seven turns his head and sees him, Ty Jerome is already rotated over and Kyle guy is kind of zoning up between these two players right here. They'd be well served to have this guy rotate along the arc kind of over 
to the top of the key or the right wing just to spread Kyle Guy out a little bit and make sure that he can't guard two guys at once. But alas, they're not able to. Yurt 7 has to spin around, and they force a contested three at the end, at the end of the shot clock. That's a good possession for Virginia. You know, that's what they want. They want to force these guys to, you know, to take shots that they're not super comfortable with. You know, that he wasn't able to, the shooter wasn't able to set his feet, really get his balance on that shot at all, and, and kind of had to jack one up because of how long, you know, uh, NC State had to swing the ball around and just couldn't get a good shot. Boy, and even in that clip, you saw the opportunities that NC State had. Yeah. <laughs> or if they had had a little bit of vision or, you know, I guess just better players, they could have, they could have kind of taken advantage there. Now, you said, okay, so they iced the pick and roll on the side. I thought in the pack line, you didn't, you didn't want to do that because you wanted to force the man back to the middle. So I, I, I thought that as well. And I watched a couple instructional videos and it, it seems like, I think different coaches will preach it different ways because, you know, on a, on a baseline drive, you don't want to give up the baseline yeah. um, because all of your help is in the middle. So you want to force your guy that way. But, you know, some coaches will, will tell you that, you know, if the ball's on the side and, and you've got him going that direction, you know, you can, you can ice it. And, and you know, personally, I prefer icing as a, uh, a method of, of guarding the pick and roll. So you'll see it run different ways, I think. Um, and if, if anyone in the comments has any insight as to, you know, why certain coaches might do one over the other, um, I would certainly love to know as well. Um, we did get a couple of good questions here. So Kent says, is there any adjustment IU could make to the pack line if a team is hot from three-point range, like in the Indiana State and Fort Wayne games? Which... I almost feel like we need to stop bringing those up as issues with the pack line because that was, I mean, again, that was early in the season where you had a team that had a culture of no defense for a while. I mean, they were hardly playing any defense and you could tell how confused they were and just all the wide open shots. Plus, you know, those two teams went nuts. So we really probably should, you know, stop bringing those up constantly as examples. Like that's a problem with the pack line, but say like Virginia in, you know, in the NCAA tournament game where UMBC just went nuts on them. What kind of adjustments can you make when teams just get red hot like that? Well, in the first clip, I think was, was actually a good example of that because, you know, you noticed they dropped the pick and roll instead of hedging it. And I think, you know, just being a little bit more conservative in the way you play that we, we've, you know, we went through hedging the pick and roll kind of the disadvantages that it has, where if you have a big man who can shoot, or you have a team that makes quick decisions and is able to string together a bunch of passes in a row, they can find that open guy along the perimeter. So, you know, dropping the pick and roll, trying to just guard it with two guys instead of four or five, I think can be a good adjustment. And, and that's one that I, you know, would like to see Indiana do a little bit more regularly, just kind of as their base defense. So they don't have to make that adjustment as a last resort, just kind of do it off the bat. But yeah, that would be the, the main one that you'll see teams make. Uh, you know, in general, I think teams that, play the pack line as their main defense and kind of use those principles. You're not going to see them do many things differently as far as, uh, you know, help scheme. Like those guys are, they're not going to all of a sudden start pressuring the ball one pass away. Uh, you know, they're not going to come out of their kind of pack line positions. Those are kind of the, the principles that they're going to stick to regardless of how they guard ball screens or how they guard the post or whatnot. And that's another thing is that the pack line, a lot of pack line teams will double team the post and I think with kind of more knowledge we have about the efficiencies or inefficiencies of shooting out of the post, I think more teams are willing to live with tough shots out of the post. And so you'll see more teams play the post straight up one-on-one rather than double it and risk those kickout passes for three. So that was actually something Indiana did a couple times last season was they would start a game doubling the, the post. And then if they were hitting guys, spotting them for three and knocking down shots, 
they would just play the post with one guy and stay home on those shooters. Yeah. And just to, you know, one more comment on the Virginia game, their bigger problem was offense. They, they had right. th their offensive pace was so slow and they had no chance to come back in that game. So, and that was another game where their opponent was just on fire. Right. Right. Yeah, so. And, you know, no matter what defense you're playing, sometimes opposing teams yeah. are, are going to go on fire. Uh, this is a good question, too, from John. Does the difference in three-point line distance between college and NBA play into the use of the pack line? Because obviously the NBA, you're further out. You've got more ground to cover to get to shooters. Yeah, I think so. And I think you're seeing some teams kind of take that to an even greater extreme. Guys like, you know, Ryan Anderson, on the Eric Gordon, guys on the Rockets, who will stand two or three feet behind the three-point line and they make it harder for their defenders to help off of the ball. And certainly there is, you know, help defense in the NBA. Guys need to slide over, cut off dribble penetration. You don't want to just seed lanes to the basket. But yeah, no, I, I do think that's part of it. I also just think, you know, you think about most primary ball handlers in the NBA are able to make that skip pass to the opposite corner, or if they're sitting at the top of the key to either corner. And so, you know, part of the pack line is you have those corner defenders kind of sucked in closer to the lane. And if you do that in the NBA, it's just a longer closeout and the passers are so much better that they're able to, to generate shots from that distance a little bit more effectively. Whereas most college point guards, like they're not going to be able to throw a pass over the top uh, and hit a guy right in the shooting pocket in the opposite corner. It's just not something that most guys have in their skill set. And so you're, you're able to get away with a little bit more in college. The margin of, of error on defense is a little bit greater, whereas in the NBA, the talent is so great that that players are just going to make you pay for mistakes like that. Do you have any more videos? Or That's all I got. Okay. So let, let's, let's end with this question then as we, you know, as we look toward more defensive growth this year, and we saw a lot of defensive growth last year. I mean, Indiana started out poorly, but you know, you look at Bart Torvik's site I mean, they finished the season over the last month or two as one of the you know top 10 uh, defenses in the country, according to adjusted defensive efficiency. What are some things that you're going to look at early in the season that will be indicators that this team is really ready to take the next step from a defensive standpoint in the pack line. I think rim protection is a big one because, you know, the way the pack line operates, it's all about not letting opponents get easy shots at the rim. And so, you know, Indiana doesn't really have that traditional defensive anchor, you know, like a guy who's just going to stand around the basket and super athletic block a ton of shots and just deter every shot at the rim. You know, a guy like Isaiah Wilkins, like Virginia had last year, you know, Jawan Morgan is kind of an approximation of that guy, but he doesn't have quite the size. You know, he, he doesn't have, um, you know, maybe, maybe the defensive discipline that Wilkins had because he was an elite defender. So that said, Indiana does have some guys who can protect the rim guys like Justin Smith, Jawan Morgan, like I mentioned, um, who can slide over Evan Fitzner, even Jerron Davis groundbound as he is, you know, it, with, with the Good right shot blocker though, still. Yeah. Decent shot blocker has, you know, is able to stay straight up sometimes uh, other times he kind of gets baited into fouling but yeah. uh th that's going to be i think a big indicator if they're giving up easy shots at the rim and opponents are converting at a high rate there you know i have a hard time imagining that their defense will be very good overall because if those are the shots that they're you know scheming to take away and opponents are still getting a lot of them then you know, that that's just a harbinger of bad things to come on defense and then opponent three point percentage i think that's especially given the way last year went the way the first half in particular went last year they were one of the worst teams in the nation guarding the three and so if they're able to take those looks away both both the volume and the percentage of opponent threes are going to be two things that i'll be looking for because look like the more that teams shoot threes and the more teams realize the math works in your favor if you shoot more threes 
it's just going to keep becoming more and more popular, even in the college game. And, you know, I, I wonder how, how much you can get away with playing a defense that, you know, invites catch and shoot threes the way the pack line does. I wonder how, how viable that will be going forward. It's possible to do, but I do think you need, you know, those athletes, those long guys who can recover and play the system really, really well. So, you know, Indiana's margin of error in that sense is a little bit smaller, I think. And I think every team uh, has a smaller margin of error by the year, just as teams start shooting more and more threes. So I'll be interested to see both of those figures. And hopefully on the offensive end, we make a few more this year than we did last year. That'll, that'll help offset yeah. for any threes that we give up. Uh, ben, your Twitter account is Ben Ladner underscore, right? B Ladner underscore. B Ladner underscore. So follow him, B Ladner underscore. Is there any place else people should be following you to read your stuff? Not even necessarily um, on you, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I write at the the step back inside the hall, assembly hall, uh, assembly call. Uh, um, but I put all that stuff on Twitter, so that's probably the best place to you know get it all at once. Okay, and you'll you'll probably be writing a few of our post game emails. Um, so yep. you know, typically Andy and I have written those, but you and Seth, um, this year you guys are going to write some of those. So be on the lookout for more of that, and we'll keep doing these basketball two hundred one segments because I'm enjoying them and learning a lot, and everybody seems to like them. So me too. Yeah, and this was actually a topic that I I was not super well versed in going into the episode so i actually learned a lot just doing the research and you know looking at the at the film of all this stuff so it was pretty fascinating to learn some of these concepts myself very cool man well thank you for the effort and thanks for being here again and we'll talk to you on another edition next week all right see you then okay coming up our last segment it is time for our opponent preview indiana faces chicago state on tuesday night josh wilson from the chat mob and from the inside out podcast is here to teach us a little bit about them stick with us here on the assembly call Welcome back to Banner Monday. It is our final segment, and each week in our final segment, we are going to be previewing Indiana's upcoming opponent for that week. Obviously, tomorrow night, Indiana opens the regular season against Chicago State at home in Simon Scott Assembly Hall. And Chicago State is not a highly regarded opponent, but that doesn't mean we're going to take them lightly and overlook them. We're going to do a preview. And to do that preview, we have straight from the chat mob, chat mobbers, Josh Wilson. And Josh, you, before we get to the Chicago State, you have a new podcast that you've started. Uh, it is called, is it called just Inside Out or the Inside Out podcast? Uh, yeah, it's the Inside Out podcast. Uh, you can find it at inside underscore out pod on Twitter. Um, you know, I, I know I let you know, I was kind of inspired by, you, you know, you guys, the uh, assembly call and Ben and coach Tonsoni. So I just love the, the group and the family that we have. And I wanted to start podcasting myself because I love talking about sports. I played college basketball. So uh, I, I, I like to think I have a lot of knowledge, whether that's true or not will be determined. But uh, yeah, I just love talking sports. and That's given me a platform to do that. Well, you played college hoops, so you probably have more knowledge than me, Andy, and Ryan combined. So <laughs> that's awesome. No, and it's it's on Anchor. Is it all? Is it on Apple Podcasts and all the normal places where people can can get it? Yes, it is. Yep, okay. using Anchor is my platform. It distributes it everywhere, so you can find it on your your uh, podcast platform that you enjoy listening to the most. Perfect. All right, so we will link to that in the show notes. But let's talk Chicago State. So you you sent me over a spreadsheet that had a lot of really good information. You know, I think the the thing that most people probably know about Chicago State is that Mark Titus was campaigning to be their head coach this offseason um, and not a whole lot else. They are, you know, a sub 345 team pretty much everywhere you look. Not a lot expected of them. What kind of team is coming in and who, if any players, should we be paying attention to on Tuesday night? 
Yeah, I think it says a lot about it if you have Mark Titus campaigning to be your head coach uh, as a series candidate. But uh, yeah, they have six returners um, from last year's team, and they bring in just one freshman. So of the six returners, uh, they have nobody scored more than uh, six points a game on average, or average more than three rebounds. So wow. what they bring back did not do a whole lot, um, and that's going to probably speak, you know, to the demise and uphill battle that they have this season. So. Uh, they do have a couple players. Anthony Harris is a 6'5 senior guard. Uh, he did score 20 against Cal State Bakersfield last year. And then Cameron Bowles is a 6'7 forward. He's a sophomore. Uh, he scored 20 against Rio Grande. So it was kind of hard to find a lot of stats that were meaningful on the Cougars. Um, but they do have three returners that you know, scored anywhere from 4.7 to 5.8 points on average. Uh, two sophomores and uh, Anthony Harris, a senior guard. So with the six coming back, they bring in seven newcomers. And like I said, only one's a freshman. The others are sprinkled in between the sophomore, junior, and senior classes. So a lot of additions, uh, a lot of mixed You know, in the class. You'd only have one underclassman. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they gel because, you know, when you when you have such large turnover, and I think Indiana is, you know, as you know, fans have experienced that in the past, it, it can be problematic. And I think it's probably going to be some of the same this year. Hey, you know, but if you're, you know, a young program and you're you're bringing in all these new guys, what better place to work it all out for the first time than Simon Scott Assembly Hall for Romeo Langford's first season opener or right, only season opener, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Yeah, great place. Nice comfortable environment for you. Yeah. Um so the the transfers, any of those guys notable like that were decent recruits or did anything at any other school or no? No, I didn't find a whole lot um, about the, the the transfers, the guys coming in. Mainly, okay. they're the they're two biggest players, Anthony Harris, Cameron Bowles. We'll probably see a lot uh, of those two, I would presume. They were, they had the most impact. Um, they the three leading scorers of last year's team were all gone. So okay. like that, yeah. So those two, um, you know, coming back are really the most that we know. And you know, their averages obviously aren't something to be tickled about, but. You know they're obviously going to be relied a lot, you know, a lot heavier this year. So, fair to say that Tuesday night is going to be much more about Indiana and what they're doing than we should worry at all about Chicago State. And frankly, this is a game that if Indiana doesn't win going away by forty, fifty points, you know, it may be something to be a little bit concerned about because this this is the type of game that a good Indiana team dominates and, and, and puts away or maybe 40 or 50 is a little bit much, but certainly a game that you should win by 30, 40 points. W mm -hmm. What are you going to be watching for in particular? Well, I think uh, coach Archie Miller said it best earlier today. It's, it's going to be all about Indiana. It's going to be all about what they do. Um, I will caution Hoosier fans though. Don't get too high, too low. You know, I wouldn't be shocked if they win by 25, 35, I'm expecting them to win probably closer to 40. Um, this Chicago state team played four big 10 teams last year. Uh, they lost all four games, um, but they lost to Wisconsin by 12 points in the Kohl Center uh, hmm. at the end of December. So obviously Wisconsin wasn't the team that we have expected um, or seen in the past, but it was only 12 points and Chicago State's not a very good basketball team. So, you know, hmm. they have played people close, although, I mean, I, I do expect Indiana to win pretty favorably because Chicago State only beat one Division One team last year and they were they were three and 29. So. That tells you what you need to know about them. But, yeah, just be cautious. Indiana's going to probably work on some things. I've played in games like this where you're easily going to beat somebody. And it, it, it may be all about rotation. Coach Miller may try to see how what he has, especially with Devontae Green back in the fold. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Finistee and Green on the floor at the same time. 
Mm-hmm. So uh, don't be surprised to see some experiments, but I, I do think Indiana, or they're not going to have any issue tonight. I'll be shocked if they do. Brian says, uh, I use only favored by 26 and a half. So, okay, maybe I'm over-promoting just a little bit with my 40-50 talk, but <laughs> it, it's a game. Do you agree this is a game that you really focus on the first half, see what they do for maybe the first five minutes coming out of the second half, but mm-hmm. you don't want to put too, you know, if it does get out of hand, you don't want to put too much stock, obviously, in what happens when the game's already decided. Right. Absolutely. Yep. This is a game where you just focus, you know, your your main eight, nine rotation guys, see what they can do, get get some rhythm, get some blood flowing, um, you know, get a lead and then get on the bench and stay healthy it is really all Indiana needs to worry about. You know, if they win by 27, somebody's going to have a fit about it that, you know, you won by 27 and we're going to move on to Montana State. So I promise we won't overreact about that on the postgame show. Um, OK, Never. so last question. Is there is there any particular statistic that you think would be worth looking at? In this game, um, in this game, I, I, I scowled through their other stats. Um, they they were just a poor basketball team last year, unfortunately. So they didn't do a whole lot well. I mean, three point percentage was around thirty. Their free throw, I mean, their free throw shooting was seventy two percent. So I mean, that was better than Indiana, but nonetheless, <laughs> it's still not very good. Um, so they only score averaged about sixty eight points per game last year. So and they gave up close to ninety. Um, so those are the kind of stats to know. I kind I did kind of find it funny because their average loss was about 24 points. Um, the three games that they won, they beat two NAIA schools and then they beat the university of Missouri at Kansas city at home on senior night, which was their lone D one win. Wow. Uh, their average win difference was, uh, 37 points per game. So those stats are kind of misleading, Yeah. but, uh, <laughs> uh, really, you know, just they, there's not a lot coming back with the returning players. So they do have a little bit of size, but Indiana is going to match up real well uh, with the Cougars. All righty. Well, Josh, thanks for joining us. Obviously, you can talk with Josh more in the chat mob, in the chat uh, after the game, live uh, on, on the YouTube page for the game. What's your Twitter account for folks who want to follow? Yeah, it's at underscore Josh Wilson 33. At underscore Josh Wilson. Then, of course, check out the Inside Out podcast as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that is going to do it for us on this week's episode of Banner Monday. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, join us at assemblycall.com on Monday afternoons for the live broadcast of our Banner Monday recording. And you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter, which will make you a smarter and more well-informed IU basketball fan. Thank you for listening. We will be back to talk IU hoops again with you on Tuesday night after IU Chicago State. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. This was the most ridiculous ordeal of my life. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support The Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show... We appreciate it. Thank you.
Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.